0: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We've got a terrific show for you today, and we start with our great debate today in B.C. politics. And I'll tell you what, it has been an interesting week in our province. The B.C. Conservative Party, all of a sudden, they have an MLA in the legislature now. We'll talk about that. And the uproar in the legislature this week is Premier David Eby, a condo flipper. This is the guy who brought the tax hammer down on property flippers... Did the Premier flip his own condo? All right, let's discuss now. Both sides of it for you. Peter Milibar, Liberal MLA, Kamloops North Thompson. Pleased to welcome him back, Peter. Thanks for coming on. You bet. Always good to be on. Thank you for doing it. Amin Singh on the line. Amin is the uh, NDP MLA, Richmond, Queensborough. Amin, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Mike. Always good to be on as well. Okay, gentlemen, let's start with this uh, this uproar over David Eby and, and his condo here. Now, this blew up this week. The Liberals calling Eby basically a, a hypocrite for criticizing property flippers. Did he flip his own condo? Let's have a listen to this exchange now in the legislature. This is Liberal MLA Shirley Bond going after Eby here. Let's have a listen there's only one speculator that leads a party in this house. It happens to be the person sitting in the Premier's chair who managed to flip his condo for quite a substantive profit. Like so many British Columbians, when my wife went back to school, our family sold the condo to help pay for her tuition, Honourable Speaker. We used that condo when our first child was born, when I was working here so that we had a place where she and our new baby could be while I was working as an MLA. That's the condo flipping that they're talking about. Okay, let's discuss this now. Peter Milibar, give me your your take on this. Well, the hypocrisy in all of this
1: is the Premier has spent literally years uh, painting anyone that does the exact same thing that he did for his family uh, as a flipper. He he took the equity in his, his uh, second home that he needed for work purposes. Lots of people have that same scenario. He said, tough break, you're a, you're a speculator, you're a flipper. He took that equity to pay off family debt and, and other family commitments, fair enough. No one takes issue with that. But the Premier does if it's anyone but the Premier. And that is that is essentially the problem here. I noticed the Premier didn't bother saying to the purchaser, you know what, I, I don't want to profit off of the housing market. I'm just going to sell it for what I paid for it. Uh, <laughs> no, he took, he took the profits, as anyone does, the appreciation and value, uh, and used that to take care of some family commitments. Um, he needs to cut back on the rhetoric. I don't know how he expects uh, people to enter the housing okay. market as investors or builders if the word
0: profit is, is a dirty word. It okay. simply won't happen. NDP MLA Amensing, go ahead.
2: You know this is absolutely ridiculous, Mike. I I can't help but laugh. Like they're grasping, my colleagues have nothing. They're grasping at straws here to deflect from the fact that the actual you know speculator and flipper is the leader of their party. What what Premier Eby did is he owned and used her property for six years and sold it to help to pay for his wife's tuition and when she was, you know, to get her back to school. That's not what property flipping is. That's not what speculation is. Speculation is holding a piece of property, you know, hoping that it'll go up, uh, treating it like chattel, like a stock. That's not what Premier Ev did. That's what, that's what Kelvin Falcon has done on many occasions, and he's on record saying that he's proud of it, how, you know, uh, uh, buying properties, renovating them, flipping them. Um, that's what we're fighting against.
1: Peter... Well, that, that answer right there is, is typifies the problem with the NDP on this. So as long as you sold it for a profit, for a use of that money that the NDP deems to be appropriate for them and your family, it's okay. But anyone else that did it to try to finance their expansion of their business uh, or to help their child buy another home or anything like that uh, is a speculator and a flipper and, and, a, and a, an evil investor. It just simply all- doesn't hold water. And one last quick thing. Yeah. premier... Sold it three days before the speculation tax came into effect. Pretty okay, this,
0: Okay, this is this is the critical point. I think that this deal that the premier is involved in came in before this anti-speculation tax took effect. So, so Peter Millibar, real quick, are you saying that that he did a, a sale of this condo in order to avoid that the tax? I'm saying
1: that if anyone else had done that, you know, the NDP would have been characterizing them as tax evaders or tax. Trying uh, to avoidance, you name it. Look what they say about people with used cars, for Lord's sake. I mean, it's the hypocrisy okay. in all of this that is just remarkable in terms of as long as it's being sold and the profits being used for something that the NDP to be worthy in your household, that's okay. But for anyone else, you can't make your own decision and, and
0: what you need to that Amen. money for it. Singh. Yeah. Singh.
2: Again, grasping at straws, like, you know, uh, uh, a, a use of a property for six years for a home that you need uh, for his wife and his, his child, and, you know, Twitter knows very well that you know you don't sell a property right away there's you list it it, it takes time to do that um, Kevin Falcon is against all of these actions that we've taken our speculation tax our speculation vacancy tax has added 20,000 units to the Metro Vancouver rental market that's what we've done we're not against that what we're against is what we're against is people uh, uh, corporations real estate investment trusts treating People's homes as chattel, treating people's homes as 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 as, uh, as, uh, as as part of the stock market, speculating on them, flipping them for yeah. profit for the own sole purpose of profit. What Kamarevi okay. did here was completely different. He, he, you know, he lived in that house for six years, raised his young child in that house for six years. Um, again, they're grasping at straws because they have nothing else. They know okay. that their own party is against the speculation tax. Let me... They uh, let, that would make make the situation much worse than it
1: already is. Peter, real quick, again, go ahead. And it was his second home. It wasn't his primary home. Let's be clear about that. And that's exactly what the NDP was saying. People shouldn't have two residences. And a lot of people in B.C. have two residents for work reasons and family life reasons, and the NDP yeah. shrugged. And said, you're all speculators, absolute, you're all trying to capitalize on the Peter. housing market, and you need to pay. Go ahead, on um.
2: Absolute misrepresentation, uh, Peter. Again, speculation and and what we're aiming at is, is trying to ensure that people don't treat people, corporations, real estate investment trusts, don't treat property homes as stocks. Don't treat them as okay. as purely for profits.
0: Okay, guys, let me move on to another topic here. And this was a really interesting development, I thought, this week. Former Liberal MLA, John Rustad, he joins the B.C. Conservative Party. So the Conservative Party of British Columbia now has a seat in the B.C. legislature. Could this hurt the Liberals? I think it could. Let's listen to Rustad here. The reason I've decided to do this is the same reason why I got into politics. Because I see that there is something wrong, and I want to change it, and I want to try to make a difference. Amin's saying, what do you think of this former Liberal now as a Conservative?
2: You know, uh, uh, Mike, having a diversity of views in the legislature is a good thing, right? We, we, we encourage that. Uh, we encourage, you know, the questions that our, that our colleagues uh, uh, propose. Obviously, we disagree with, with John on many things. He, he's, he's got some very conservative views that are uh, uh, opposite to what we, you know, the, the way our world view. Um, for example, in the climate change, his opposition to the carbon tax, his opposition to Dr. Bonnie Henry's public health orders. But the thing with John is you always know where he stands, um, you know, so that 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 really is uh, you guys. Uh,
0: the NDP must amen. The NDP must be thrilled over this now. If this is going to split the split the vote, this is going to hurt the Liberals. Do you think?
2: You know, again, as I said, we we really we welcome a diversity of values, and you know, John brings John brings uh, uh, that to the table as well. Okay. Um, it's, yeah.
0: Peter Milibar, your thoughts on it?
2: Well,
1: he might want to check out his own uh, party's Twitter strings if he says they welcome diversity of values. But, I mean, I I don't think this is any great surprise that John uh, landed with the Conservatives. Uh, You know, I sat next to John in the House for three and a half, four years. Uh, You know, I I like to think we have a a decent personal relationship. But, uh, you know, again, I don't think this is any great surprise. Uh, B.C. Conservatives have had a presence, uh, if not officially in the House, um, within B.C. politics for a long, long time. Uh, you know, elections are snapshots in time. So we'll see if... In you election, are you worried about
0: is... it? Are you worried about no. this now?
1: No, uh, you know what? There's there's always uh, conservatives on ballots in, in various parts of the province. Um, you know, it's up to the voters to decide uh, how they would like to see their votes split and the parties to to convey... Uh, why they should be the ones that that voters want to vote for. And as I say, elections are snapshots in time. So what happened 10 years ago or four years ago or even two years ago is is somewhat irrelevant when you get to the actual uh, writ period in terms of what turns into the ballot question in any given region of this province.
0: Hey, we continue our BC politics debate this morning. My guest, Liberal MLA Peter Milibar, NDP MLA Amon, saying, Guys, let me ask you about... Another controversy in B.C. politics that erupted this week. And this one involves liberal M.L.A. Teresa Watt, long-serving M.L.A. for Richmond. She gave an interview to a Chinese-language TV station and speaking in Mandarin. She said, quote, we are very opposed to so-called safe injection sites. Which is counter to the official policy of the Liberal Party. Amen. Um, the NDP jumped on this. What are you saying? Like the Liberals are telling are telling people something different in Mandarin? Yeah, what?
2: this is really really unfortunate that you know this is uh, uh, and even even her uh, uh, Theresa Watt's uh, retraction was. Uh, I think she used the words "I used the wrong choice of words and misrepresented," which is not what she said. She actually she she flat out. You know, apparently uh, Kevin Falcon has said that he's, he supports safe injection sites, which is right. what I think all parties do. But yeah. what she said was completely the opposite. And I, this is, you know, this is playing politics with people's lives. We, we, we're we're in a crisis. We're in a toxic drug supply crisis where um, what we see is unprecedented. And one of the, you know, I, I, we've spoken before many times, Mike. Um, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've been sober now for over 12 and a half years. And one of the biggest things that that kept me and I was out there for a couple of years uh, uh, out in um, uh, the valley of the shadow of death. I've called it many times. And one of the biggest things that kept me from reaching out and asking for help was that stigma. And what this does is it just reiterates it just it it adds to that stigma. And that's really unfortunate. Okay. Um, the liberals really need to be steadfast and and, and, and need to uh, uh, make sure that this doesn't happen again.
0: Okay, Um, liberal. But it keeps on happening. Liberal MLA Peter Milibar, are the Liberals telling Chinese-speaking voters something different when they're speaking Mandarin? No, I mean, come
1: on. Do you, does anyone honestly think that Theresa, the BC Liberals, or, or anyone else doesn't think that the NDP monitor uh, what's being said on these interviews as well? Come on. She she misspoke. She corrected it. You know who else says that they misspoke? Janet Rowledge, who compared uh, opposition to actions taken in the Holocaust and two years earlier compared B.C. Liberals to Nazis. Um, So if you want to talk about repetition, and she did that in the chamber, in the legislature. So, you know, I think sometimes we try to overblow things here. Uh, Theresa obviously uh, tried to clarify. uh, Apparently that wasn't good enough for the NDP either. All you have to do is look at Kevin Falcon and and his commitment to the $1.5 billion recovery and addiction uh, plan, Um, he's spoken very strongly about you need to have all aspects, including the safe injection, including um, things around decrim. And so, yes, uh, did Teresa misspeak? Absolutely. Did she clarify that? Absolutely. And we're under no illusions that the NDP aren't monitoring. So trying to think that we're sneaking something by um, would, would just be ridiculous in the extreme.
0: Okay, speaking of NDP MLA Janet Routledge and these comments that she made in the legislature about the Holocaust and and the Nazis. Yeah, this was another one that blew up this week in BC. So let's have a listen to this. So this is NDP MLA Janet Routledge here criticizing the Liberals here and listen to the comparison she draws here. Have a listen.
3: I'm so alarmed by the sneering and jeering, the overheated rhetoric the disinformation and distortions we've been subjected to by opposition speakers. During the Second World War, the Nazis were famous for dropping leaflets on London neighbourhoods to create division. And when that happens, the enemy wins.
0: Okay, NDP, MLA, I'm in sync. Come on now, comparing the Liberals to the Nazis, the Holocaust, like, this is going too far. Your thoughts?
2: So I sit next to Janet, and I was there on the day that stood up and she apologized unequivocally for, for those remarks, and she withdrew them. She apologized for those remarks, said that they were wrong, and, and withdrew them on the record. Um, <clears throat> now, what I'm concerned about is what Teresa Watt did, is she didn't, she didn't withdraw her remarks, she said she misspoke. She never said in those interviews or to the Richmond News, hey, no, I misspoke, we support safe injection sites. There's a real market hmm. difference. Janet had the guts to stand up and say she was wrong in the House in front of everybody and apologize.
0: Peter, what do you say, to, Peter Milibar? What do you say to that?
1: Well, again, there's a big difference between uh, on-the-fly comment during interviews and uh, Janet Routledge, who was reading from a prepared script that one would assume, especially in government, um, on a response to a throne speech that had been vetted or written by other uh, people within uh, government and, and staff. Uh, so, obviously, a lack of discipline and, and uh, message management on the NDP, or or they actually do. There was ministers in that house that we're clapping and, and encouraging uh, Ms. Routledge to continue on. And so, uh, you know, again, I, I think Theresa, she phrased things very poorly. She's admitted that. Uh, we You can't find anything that says that we have been opposed under Kevin Falcon's leadership to safe injection sites. Kevin's made it very clear. He's the one, excuse, excuse me, that came out with the $1.5 billion uh, addiction to treatment <clears throat> plan and and instead the NDP are fixating
0: on one sentence in an interview that has actually been clarified. Okay, Amen, we got thirty seconds left. You get the last word. Go ahead.
2: Uh the, you know, I, I they must have more staffers that write their responses to the phone switch because <laughs> Peter we didn't, you know, I wrote my own. Um again, uh, a marked qualitative difference between standing up apologizing and not actually apologizing and not clarifying the situation. Teresa Watt didn't clarify the situation. It still leaves it unclear for the mandarin speaking community and i think that we have to take that point in in in, in our minds
0: gentlemen thank you for a good discussion i want to thank both of you for your time today i appreciate you doing it peter millibar liberal mla from kamloops amin singh ndp mla richmond queensborough thank you gentlemen All right, let's talk about residential tenancy laws in B.C. now. And here's an interesting question. What happens if you are a landlord and you find out that your tenant is subletting the this, this suite on Airbnb? This happened to a landlord recently in Richmond. The landlord rented out a condo to a tenant and then discovered later the tenant was renting the suite out to other people on Airbnb actually got a demand letter from the Strata Council, they found out about it and said, look, Airbnb not allowed here, we're going to slap you with a fine. What kind of rights does a landlord have now if you find out your tenant is doing that? Renting out the suite on Airbnb. Now, this happens more often than you think. Have a listen to this report now from NBC News. Now this is this is really interesting. This one happened in New York City. Same deal. Guy rents out a suite to tenants, tenants turn it into an Airbnb. Have a listen. This is the worst thing happened to me in my life. Eddie Shue owns this rental property, a three-family home in Elmhurst, Queens. He says he recently rented the third floor, a three-bedroom
1: apartment, to Barack Fierick and Dogen Camilli for $2,500 a month.
0: But, he says, he soon found out they were renovating the apartment. Fyrick and Camilli then reportedly listed the rooms for rent on Airbnb. Okay, let's discuss this now with my guest, Hunter Boucher, Vice President of Operations for Landlord BC. They represent landlords in our province. Hunter, thanks for coming on again. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. Okay, this is a very interesting situation here now, and this has happened locally here. We had a case in Richmond where the landlord there is putting out the warning to other landlords. Hey, Be alert to this. Be on the lookout if your tenants start renting out your suite on Airbnb. Have you heard of this before? How often does this happen? Uh, This is something that certainly
4: does happen. Um, You know, an exact number is probably impossible to pin down uh, because it really does just come down to to whether or not landlords find out about it. Um, But it is certainly, you know, a a kind of common issue and has been an issue
0: uh, for a number of years. I can certainly see how someone might be tempted to do this, especially if you're living in the suite and maybe you're going away on vacay yourself for a while. Hey, why not make a couple of bucks and rent the place out while you're gone? Or maybe you'd have a situation where a tenant thinks like, I can make more money. I can make a profit here by renting this out on Airbnb. Is that legal? Is that actually allowed in B.C.? Uh,
4: well, the the short answer is generally no. Um, you're going to look at a few different uh, things to determine whether or not it's something that's allowed within a tenancy. We start, of course, with the tenancy agreement. If there's something in the agreement prohibiting it, then it's not it's not allowed in the tenancy. But there's other things that can affect that. Things like local bylaws, the bylaws of a strata, for example, yeah. the, the article that you mentioned, of course strata wasn't was was part of that um, and that that's a common way in which landlords find out is a strata comes to them saying there's an issue and it potentially could result in fines uh, and a tenant doing something that that breaks the rules of the strata bylaws um, oh. is generally something that isn't allowed in a tenancy
0: okay you mentioned that if you you have to take a look at the fine print I guess in a tenancy agreement so Let's say that there's a clause in the lease that says you are not allowed to sublet this suite to someone else. I think that would be a a pretty common clause in a a lease. If there is a clause like that, you can't sublet the place. Would that include Airbnb? Like what if you just rented out for a few days on Airbnb? Would that contravene a sublet clause?
4: Yeah, so generally speaking there aren't terms in BC that say no subletting. The subletting is actually oh. something that's protected under the residential tenancy uh, oh, act. itself. Okay. this is something right. that's different though. So, you know, renting out through through Airbnb, running it really as a business is something that's different. And again, we'd want to look at the agreement, we'd want to look at the local bylaws and the and the, the strata bylaws as well. Um and there's really two there's two kind of ways to look at this. There's the tenants who potentially, you know, do have a situation where they're gone for a couple of weeks and they, you know, consider using it, using Airbnb as a tool for that, t- that time frame to rent, to rent out their, their space. Um, those aren't, that's not particularly common. Um, it, it does, in fact, take a you know a, a decent amount of work to get set up with Airbnb and, and actually run it. So we don't see that very commonly. Where we see um, the issues arising is in situations where you have people who are renting spaces and professionally then renting it out on Airbnb.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now let's say, let's imagine a situation where you're a landlord, you find out your tenant is doing this, they're renting out the place on Airbnb, basically running the suite like a like a hotel room, what kind of rights does the landlord have? Can you now legally evict that tenant for doing that?
4: Yeah, so the tenancy quite likely would be able to come to an end. Um, Again, we look at a series of things to determine how to address it. We start with the agreement and and kind of work out from there. And if there is some situation where they're they're contravening the agreement, bylaws, Perhaps maybe even the the, the owner's insurance. Um, then then we would we would address that with the tenant, and yeah. ideally the you know again we we look at it from you know two two points. We ideally this is a situation where the, the tenant maybe wasn't aware, and we can we can work with the tenant to not come to an end of tenancy because really that's the goal here is to not end tenancies. But if Compliance can't be met. If you can't come to that agreement and understanding with the tenant, then, yeah, a tenancy might might need to come to an end. And there's a process right. for that in a, a form, of course.
0: Right. And th- it appears this is what happened in this case in Richmond. This landlord found out that this was going on. The tenant was renting the place out in Airbnb, and the tenant got the boot. So the tenant was kicked kicked out of the suite. Is it difficult, though, under tenancy laws in British Columbia to evict a tenant? Like, your organization represents landlords, and I, I've heard from a lot of landlords over the years who say that it's difficult to evict a tenant. Like, if you have a bad tenant, you want rid of them. It, it can be a real nightmare to evict them. Is that true? Well, I
4: think that, again, it comes down to, to looking at this from kind of two points of view. The first is that, you know, Ending a tenancy is a fairly serious matter. It's a significant step to take. Um, so there are checks and balances in place for it. But with that being said, you know, for something like this, the the, the reason to end the tenancy quite likely is, is pretty straightforward. And the process to go through uh, is is pretty direct. It's, you know, issuing, again, there's there's a government form to issue an, an end of tenancy for, for an issue such as this. And... Where we run into problems is in situations where a tenant doesn't leave or disputes a notice, and we end up having to wait for a hearing. And that's less of uh, an issue with the legislation and more uh, an issue of resources at the residential tenancy branch.
0: Speaking to Hunter Boucher, Vice President, Landlord BC. Hunter, let me ask you about the the rent increase cap that we have in British Columbia this year. And and once again, this year, the BC government has placed a hard cap on the maximum allowable rent increase in our province. So the, the maximum rent increase this year, two percent. Is that correct? Two percent is the maximum this year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that what is do you, what do you th- what do you think of that? Because it's been several years it's been a few years now that the government's been doing this, putting this cap on rent hikes and I'm sure landlords, they don't have a, a cap on their input costs and their insurance or strata fees or repairs and maintenance. So what are you hearing from landlords about these rent caps? Well, it is certainly, you know, something
4: that's having an impact on the rental housing industry. Um, you know, the, the I think I mentioned this on the last time I was going to show there's an uncertainty within the industry with all of these these changes that have occurred over the years, and there has been changes to the, the rent increase over the last about four years that have all come from different areas, different 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 um, different pressures, kind of creating these these different changes. There was a change to the formula. Um, that removed two percent from inflation, um, which is what it used to be, two percent plus inflation, then of right. course, we had the pandemic, and there was changes there, um, which you know it, the world was uncertain at that time, so we we we, we adapted um, and then this most recent, where instead of looking at what the formula was, which is a rent increase based on inflation, it was just set at two percent yeah. Um, Uh, Yeah. And do you think, do
0: you think that some landlords, like I've heard from landlords who who have told me, you know what, I'm done with this. I like, I can't, this is these rent caps are not fair and I'm out of here. I'm not going to rent out my basement suite anymore. Like I'm, I'm putting my, I'm throwing my hands up in the air and I'm I'm getting out of the landlord business. Have have you heard of, of people doing that? Like getting out of this business? or Do you fear that could happen? Most
4: certainly, we have heard that people have chosen to, to no longer uh, stay within in this business and, and provide rental homes, uh, which is a concerning trend. We are in the middle of a, a rental housing crisis. And here at Lana BC, our biggest you know, uh, advocacy effort, our biggest message is that we need more rental housing. More importantly, we need more purpose-built rental housing. And while we're not seeing a lot of, uh, of, of the current landlords who have for rental getting out of it, we are seeing people saying, well, it's an uncertain environment, so do I want to continue to invest? Right. Do I want to build more uh, with, this, with all the changes that have been happening and the uncertainty as to what might happen next? So with yeah. that in mind, you know, it, it puts increased pressure on an already – Highly pressurized uh, rental housing ecosystem—one that is quite delicate and one that that that
0: requires continued investment. Hunter, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. All right, let's talk about the move by Vancouver now to scrap the controversial 25 cent disposable cup fee. So, this had been a long time coming. We've uh, covered this on the show in the past. Vancouver City Council now makes it official. They vote to scrap the 25 cent fee for disposable cups. It was not a unanimous vote at City Council. Let's check in with Vancouver City Councilor Adrian Carr with the Green Party at City Hall. Councillor, thank you for coming on today. Oh, my pleasure, Mike. Okay, it's nice to have you on again. Now, you voted, you voted against this motion to scrap the cup fee. You want to keep the cup fee. Is that correct?
3: That is correct.
0: Okay, tell me why.
3: Because contrary to what the motion said, the motion said there's uh, unambiguous evidence it's not working. Uh, that That's not the truth. And we heard from speakers saying that there is stuff in the works that's happening because of that fee. Um, it's not working as overtly as we had hoped to begin with. I'll grant that. So we don't see all sorts of people now bringing, you know, reusable mugs to coffee shops. There's still way too many um, of the disposable cups being handed out and uh, ending up in the trash. Um, but what what we did learn at council is that the sort of, some really big players like Tim Hortons, for example. Is eyeing that twenty-five cent fee and realizing that they could be producing a different kind of cup that would be fully recyclable, um, and the and and it would get paid for by that by that twenty-five cent fee. That's because there's a bit of an extra markup in producing something that's a better product.
0: Okay, okay. Counselor, when you say that the program was working maybe not as as much as you thought it would at first but it was getting there what is the evidence that it was working like how many how many disposable cups have been diverted from the city's landfill because it was how many how many paper cups were going into the garbage dump before the cup fee
3: 80 million a year right
0: Right. and how many 80 million a year and how many were how many were going now
3: well, the problem is, Mike, I can't tell you that. because we. Yeah, were that's a get, problem. And you, and you know why? Because we were supposed to get a report back on this with more full information. And this motion came ahead of that more fulsome report back, which I think is a bad process of decision-making. Myself, I like to know the evidence, not just kind of wing it from what people say, but to know the evidence. So we didn't get that evidence. But I can say... I can I can conjecture uh, that it wasn't a huge amount less because right. it, because um, it, there's there's two things one right one is can people and will people um, switch to coffee containers that are re, that are reusable and some of that was happening but that and and that people take that as a sole measure that it's on the wrong track. What is really important is to know most people still are going to want to take take away containers, but the way they are currently produced doesn't make them recyclable. So they end up actually in the garbage, in the trash. And the goal should be um, if people are going to use the one-time use cups, we should be able to recycle them. And that's the underlying change that started to happen Big industry players saying, "Hey, you know, maybe there's a point here. We should be do- right. producing cups that will work, and that extra twenty-five cents may help us do that."
0: Okay, I think the program was fatally flawed from the very beginning, and I I think City Council has done the right thing here in scrapping it. So I, I respectfully disagree with you on the issue. And Adrian, let me let me explain let me explain why. Uh, we often hear this from our listeners all the time when we discuss this issue. The way the program was set up, where you, the retailers are collecting this 25 cent fee, and then the, the money is not earmarked for any, any particular environmental effort. It just went basically into the pockets of these, of these retailers. That to me is, is the problem. And most people knew that. A lot of people did. And they didn't like it. So let me play a couple of clips here for you, counselor. These are calls to our buzz line on this topic, okay? okay. And they will, this will give you a flavor of how people feel about this cup fee, and then I'll get your thoughts. Have a listen. That
3: fee does not go back to the city. It goes to the fast food people, the takeout people. There's zero guarantee that they are going to take that money and they are going to do anything to for the environment with it. So it, it's ludicrous. Paying taxes for green, 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 then you have to show me it's going to the green. If you can't show me that, it's it's really just a money grab.
0: It's a, it's a money grab. This is what people mm-hmm. felt about it, and I agree with them. Your thoughts?
3: So I love her saying, go for the green. Uh, and, uh-huh. uh, and and in, in truth, there's two things. There's the people who sell the coffee in the coffee cups, and there are the producers, the people who create the coffee cups. Um, and the change that was starting to happen was in the creating different kinds of coffee cups that would be truly recyclable. Um, And that's what the 25 cents, so that's what the big producers are saying, look, there's a 25 cent fee. Well, that means that when we produce a uh, recyclable cup, one that's green, one that's good for the environment, although really no throwaway cup or or even recyclable cup is as good as a reusable cup, but still, it's better, right, instead of having them in the trash. Um, So the producers are saying, um, this 25 cent fee will mean that the coffee sellers, these mom and pop shops, these you know little coffee corner shops, and everything else up to the big shops, will have that extra money to pay the extra cost. It's gonna be to have a truly recyclable cup. So that was where the well,
0: innovation was being was being prompted. Well, was there any evidence that? Oh, and many coffee shops and, and restaurants were actually doing this? I, I know there are some there are yes. some examples that some did, but it doesn't seem to me like many many retailers were actually using this money to do that.
3: Because it's not up to them. They don't produce the cups, they buy them. Um, that's where they need the extra 25 cents, but the cups aren't available yet. So this is the beginning of change. Mike, you know that change sometimes does not happen overnight. It takes a while, and especially to shift markets and to shift productions. So, um, so that's that's what this feed up in, in less than a year. Big producers are saying, Hey, that's you know we've got an incentive, and we can we can see that small business owners are not going to get hurt because they're going to get right. we can move on this. So this was the beginning of the change. You don't stop at the beginning of change. You try and understand what the real systemic change here, and it's in the production of recyclable cups and uh, and that will cost a bit more, but the mom-and-pop coffee shop will be not out of pocket because of the fee. How,
0: how much money was generated? This program was in place for, what, about a year, right? Yeah. Yeah, we had it in place for a year. How much money was generated over the, the life of this program, by this twenty-five cent cup fee that went to the went to all these coffee shops and re- t- retailers, how much how much money was that?
3: Well, geez, all you have to do, I guess, is look at if it's uh, eighty million dollar uh, sorry, eighty million cups. Yeah. <laughs> That's eighty million divided by a quarter. It's a heck of a lot of
0: money. Twenty twenty million. Yeah. It's, it's twenty million dollars out of the pockets of, of Vancouver consumers into these retailers with no any and with with really no. Measurable outcome or benefit at this point?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. at this right? point, yeah. yeah. So, so maybe, maybe the signal should, should be by council, although it's too late now because we've voted on it, and and uh, it was a majority, the ABC majority, p- push it through. But yeah. maybe the signal should be: look, producers, we'll work with you when you come up with that cup. That is truly recyclable, we'll reinstitute the 25 cents a cup so that the mom and pop coffee shops won't be out of pocket.
0: Okay. Counselor, I appreciate your time on this today. Thank you for coming on.
3: I appreciate it too, Mike.